Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the Word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message. Many of you are or have been parents. And so you're probably very familiar with a phrase or a statement that you use with your children. Now remember, remember, and the older that they get, the more you'll probably get eye rolls or other things saying, yes, mom, yes, dad. And then comes that time where you say, did you? And I forgot. Because it is possible even after we have been reminded about things, to forget, not to remember. And as we get started this morning, I was surprised over the past couple of weeks as it was pointed out, and I went and looked up some of these, how often in the Bible the writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, remember, they wrote as God directed. They wrote as God put the words in their heart. They didn't write what they thought. They wrote what God wanted. Listen to what they said. In um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writing to a young pastor says, keep reminding God's people of these things, the things that Paul had taught. Paul said to the Roman church in Romans chapter 15, 15, in a letter he wrote to them, Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. To the Corinthian church, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. He's reminding them. He's calling to remembrance. Even Peter in 2 Peter, writing to another group of people, said this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Peter's saying, you know this stuff? You're walking in this stuff? Yet I'm still going to remind you of this stuff? Because this stuff is important, and we don't want to ever forget it. So this morning... I'm going to talk to you about, for some of you, is going to be a very basic truth. But it's what I feel that I need to remind you of. That as I was praying, as I was thinking, getting direction for what to preach a few weeks ago for this Sunday, this is the direction I feel like I'd like to go. I've titled the message, Only Jesus, but with a question mark. Only Jesus? Only Jesus. Only Jesus, however you would like to say it. There is a note sheet on the back of your bulletin. There's only two points today. We'll get to those towards the end of the message. But we're going to go to a text in the New Testament in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the early church getting started after Jesus was crucified, rose from the dead. In the fourth chapter, Peter and John have been arrested or they will be arrested, actually, we'll, we'll see that. But they have been preaching in the temple. The temple was the main place that the Jews would come to worship. Remember that Jesus, when he died and rose again, said, I am starting something new, a new covenant. The old is gone. The old Jewish way of doing things was gone. But they still went to the temple because that's where the people gathered. Well, on this particular day, when they got to the temple, 
A man was being brought who had been lame. The Bible tells us he has been lame for 40 years. Do I have someone who is 40 years old here today? Raise your hand if you are 40. Not that it's your birthday. Okay, nobody's admitting to being 40. That's fine. Um, but just for those of you that are older than 40, think of the past 40 years of your life. It doesn't say he was lame from birth, although he might have been. Think of the past 40 years of your life being lame and having to be carried. That's what happened. This man was carried daily to the temple to beg. That's how he made a living. That's how he paid for uh, his food and whatever else he paid for. And on this particular day, Peter and John are coming to the temple. They see him. The power of Jesus Christ was there. They looked at him and said, Gold and silver we have not, but what we have we bring to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. The man is healed instantly. Powerful miracle. I will preach on that at another time about the miracle. But what happened was, all of a sudden, this man is walking and leaping and praising God, and a crowd begins to gather because people had seen him. Remember, he's been around for 40 years, and he's been lame for 40 years. A crowd gathers, and Peter preaches. And as Peter preaches, people are convicted. And as Peter preaches, things are taking place. But the rulers, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, are not pleased with that. That's where we pick the story up in chapter 4, verse 1. So that's the context of our text. Verse 1, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, by the way, it, it, uh, well, it'll go on, I'll, I'll let this text say it. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scripture where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say, so they ordered Peter and John out of the council chambers and conferred among themselves. Peter, in challenging them, preaching to them, Especially verse number 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. He was saying, men, you religious leaders, high priests, you who have been anointed to uh, perform certain sacrifices for the Jewish people, 
There is no other name by which you can be saved, high priest. There is no other name by which you can be saved, Sadducees. There is no other name by which you can be saved, temple guards, or all of the people. It is the name of Jesus. He's saying, it's different. It's changed. And God proved it because Jesus rose from the dead. So Peter is basically telling them that the path that they're currently on is not a path that's going to lead them to eternity with God. They needed to accept Jesus. We live in a very spiritual world. Now, there's a lot of people that claim to have no spirituality, but for the most part, there are a lot of people that claim to be spiritual, that follow religious systems, that are not necessarily Christian. There are many that follow Christianity. But the, the consensus amongst many in the world is that each one of these religious paths, I've depicted them there by various arrows. We could put names on them. We could call one Buddhism. We could call one Islam. We could call one Baha'i. We could call one uh, Shintoism. We could just put names on each of those arrows. And then there's Jesus or Christianity. The consensus of the world is that follow any one of those and be a very good follower of it and you will make your way to God. There's actually another type of a philosophy depicted this way. I don't have a graphic for it. This is the graphic that I created. Is that imagine a mountain, a very large mountain, and at the summit of the mountain, at the very peak of the mountain, is God. Going up the mountain on all sides around are various paths. Pick a path. Follow the path faithfully. Be sincere in your belief, and your path will ultimately lead you to the summit, and the summit is God. That is a prevailing belief amongst many, even some that at one time were what we would call conservative Christians or Christian denominations. In this town amongst churches that have denominational names that many of you would recognize. I'm not talking about Buddhism. I'm not talking about Islam. I'm not talking about Shintoism. I'm talking about names of Christian organizations. In this community today, amongst certain churches, you will hear that the path to Jesus is a great path. It is so glad. I'm so glad that you're on it. But all paths or most paths lead to God if you're sincere and you're good. So the question today is, is that true? Is that right? Is that true that all of these various paths lead to God? It's a very attractive belief. Because it then answers some questions. Well, if I don't believe in Jesus, or if my um, relative doesn't believe in Jesus, or if my friend doesn't believe in Jesus, are they going to be okay? And it makes us feel good that, sure, as long as they're following a path and they're sincere. And please, I am not criticizing people that have uh, grown up or that are following one of these paths. There are some wonderful, sincere individuals. I've met some people that follow a path that is not the way of Jesus Christ that are probably nicer, better citizens than some people who follow the way of Jesus Christ. Not all. But if that was what was necessary to get to God, that'd be fine. But that is not what the Scripture teaches. But let me, let me just share with you, and you, you don't have to go online very far before you'll find all kinds of people who write about this. 
because it's a, a very attractive belief. <coughs> Excuse me. Chris Sinkson, in an uh, online newsletter that he has called The Apologist, just notes this. Depending on how we define them, there are thought to be about 20 different major religions in the world today, along with thousands of variations. And about 33% of the world's population claim to belong to one of the Christian denominations. So about a third of the world claim to follow Jesus. Numerically, it might seem unfair that Christianity can be the one true religion. And John Hick's claim, John Hick was a philosopher who passed away a few years ago, a noted philosopher who came from a Christian background and now has made a claim. And John Hick's claim that all the major world religions lead to God may seem more attractive than the fact that we believe the Bible teaches there's only one way to God, and that is Jesus. It is more attractive. Let me... um. Let me just step aside from my notes for a second and just talk to you. I would love to believe that all paths lead to God. I would love to believe that every person, because they're good and because they're uh, sincere, are going to find their way to God. I'd love to believe that. It'd make my job a lot easier. Unfortunately, can't because it's not what the Bible says. And it's not just because it's not what the Bible says. It's because the one in the Bible who rose from the dead and who came into my heart and changed me at my deepest level does not claim that all paths lead to God. Most of you know his claims, but again, in reminder, let's take a look at one of Jesus' claims. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I'm going to highlight two words up there. What words did I highlight? No one. Now, how, how, who is a no one? It's no one. Well, well, what about my grandmother who is a whatever? Does she know Jesus? If not, she's a no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, some people have taken Jesus' words and they've expanded on it. Here is, a, here is a statement that was made by, his name is Rabbi Mark Gelman, uh, but he's talking about Christianity, so I'm not sure uh, what his, his Jewish beliefs will be. Anyhow, he wrote, a, he wrote a bit of an article about the fact that when Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions, what he was saying was that means there are many ways to God. And so he received a question on his site about that, and the question is this. You recently wrote what Jesus seems to be saying clearly is that there are many ways to God, many mansions. And the questioner goes on and says, a mansion is not a means or a way, a path, if you will, to get anywhere. A mansion is a place to reside once you have arrived at your destination. There is a huge difference between a destination and the path you must take to arrive there. <coughs> he answered this question, yes, but to get to the mansion, you need a path. And if Jesus taught in John 14, 2, that in my father's house there are many mansions, it must also mean that there are many paths to God. I have dedicated... 
my life, as did my friend Father Tom Hartman, to the belief that there are many paths up the same mountain to God. There are those that even take Jesus' words and say that Jesus clearly teaches that there are many paths to God and that the path through Jesus is only one of many. But Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He also said this in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway, I love the New Living's on this one. Other translations say it differently. I just like the New Living. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. Now, many of us think about songs, the highway to hell, and we're talking about this evil lifestyle. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He says the road, the wide road that leads to eternal separation from God is broad and wide, and many people are there. The gate, which is not restrictive, it doesn't mean that, that uh, it's, it's restricted only to certain people. It's available to all, but it is narrow because it requires us to walk through Jesus. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate, but the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. And it is many who choose that way, even though they might choose it on many different paths. Here is the truth that the scripture teaches. There is one way to God. His name is Jesus. There are many ways that say they are to God but they will end up in the place called hell, eternity apart from God. And I feel that I need to remind us of this again. First, to settle it in some people's hearts, maybe to challenge some that are here this morning who maybe feel that this philosophy that is out there is an accurate depiction of what the Bible says when it is not. There is only one way to God. This is what Jesus teaches. This is what the Bible has revealed and teaches, and this is what I believe. See, these other directions, those other arrows, those other ways, Jesus warned us that this would happen. In Mark chapter 13, verse 22, it's also elsewhere in the Scripture, Jesus says, For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Now, false messiahs, we think, what, what is that? A false messiah, the easiest way to understand what it means for a false messiah is a leader who claims a way to get to God that isn't through Jesus. Or they say, through Jesus, but you need to add this, this, and that. That's what a false messiah is. Your translation may use the actual Greek word, false Christ. False Christ. False messiahs are false ways to God. That's what the wide road is composed of, false ways to God. And then, of course, Peter said this, and this is actually our text this morning. Peter stated in Acts 4.12, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No other name. There is salvation in, there it is again, no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which 
we must be saved. And I know sometimes that this is a difficult statement. I was reading the Life Application Study Bible, the notes about this passage, and I'm going I'm to quote one paragraph from the Life Application Study Bible that says this. Many people react negatively to the fact that there is no other name than that of Jesus to call on for salvation. Yet this is not something the church decided. It is the specific teaching of Jesus himself, and we've already looked at it in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Please understand, preachers and pastors did not come up with this. Jesus himself said it. If God designated Jesus to be the Savior of the world, no one else can be his equal. Christians are to be open-minded on many issues, but not on how we are saved from sin. No other religious teacher could die for our sins. No other religious teacher came to earth as God's only son. No other religious teacher rose from the dead. Our focus should be on a... Our focus should be on Jesus, whom God provided as the way to have an eternal relationship with him. There is no other name or way. Jesus is not one way of many. He is not one God among many. He is the only way to God. In your notes, point one, Jesus is not one way among many ways to God. He is not. He is not. And I've heard this, I've read it in the newspapers, advice columnists say it when people question about religion. I've heard others speak it. It's okay, your way is good, my way is good. You know, some people will put it in the face of someone who is trying to share their personal testimony about Jesus, trying to influence someone, trying to show someone that there is only one way to God, Jesus Christ. And they'll say, oh, it's fine, your, your way is good, and I believe this way, and that's good too. No. I thought the, 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 the Life Application Study Bible said this very, very well. Christians are to be open-minded on many issues, but not on how we are saved from sin. You cannot be, you cannot have a different opinion than what the Word of God says and be going to spend eternity with God. You can be open-minded on so many things, but not on what is necessary for salvation from sin. The second thing in your notes is this. Jesus is the one and only way to God. Jesus is not one way among many ways. Jesus is the one and only way to God. In the bulletin, I put some statements in there. He is the one and only way to God. And I ask this question, what does this mean for me? It means that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to God for you. Have you received him? What does this mean for my family, your spouse, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your grandmother, grandfather, aunts, uncles, siblings, Whatever your family is, Jesus is the one and only way to God. Are your family members following the one and only way to God? Have they received the one and only way to God? 
And if you would say today, no, they haven't, then my question to you is, what are you doing about it? You say, what do you mean, what am I doing about it? Yeah, I don't, I don't mean you're going to get in their face and, you know, tell them that turn or burn or how, how much do you really pray? I was challenged on that statement myself. If I've thought of my extended family. There, there are extended family members that, to the best of my knowledge, have given me no indication that they have opened their heart and received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And I have not prayed for them this week till I was preparing my message. What does this mean to me? What does this mean to my family? What does it mean to your friends? What does this mean for your coworkers, for your neighbors? And then I left a blank there, and that's not to fill in. I leave that for you to fill in the name or the category of people that that should apply to you about. If Jesus is, and we believe he is, I know he is, the one and only way to God, what does this mean for you, for your family, for your friends, for your coworkers, and for your neighbors? Matthew 7 again, it's at the bottom of your notes. They can, and I'm going to use they, because we're talking about family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, etc. They can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. They can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. So you can't just be spiritual. You must be saved or born again. You can't just believe in God. The majority of people in the United States believe in God. Of that majority, majority of them believe in Jesus. You must personally and freely receive him and his gift of forgiveness. It's a choice that we make. We choose to what the Bible says, repent, to turn from our sin, to turn from our way of life, and to choose to follow Jesus. It means an acceptance of his free gift, but then it means a desire to walk with him. Have you chosen that? Has your family members chosen that? Have your friends chosen that? Have your co-workers chosen that? Have your neighbors chosen that? Because broad is the highway that is going to lead to eternal separation from God in a place called hell. The gate is wide, and many are those who choose that way. Only Jesus? Yes. There is no other name under heaven by which men and women and teenagers and children can be saved. Pastor, I don't necessarily like that. No, I understand. I wish I could believe the other, but my life has been changed by that one who is named Jesus. He came in my heart. I was transformed. I have received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. My life is not the same, and neither is anyone else's life who has received him, but so many have not. So how does this all happen?
Let me just read to you briefly, or quickly, I should say, as we wind down, how this can take place for you today, how it must take place for family members and friends. Now, maybe you might not lead them in this way, but it's what takes place. In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, once again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. For God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. The way to Jesus is open to all. Yes, the gate is narrow only because it is singular. It is not narrow in that people can't get through it. Because God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It is May I say it's only by God's grace that you can be saved, and I'm glad it is only by God's grace that I was saved because I can't earn it. I can't get there myself. God saved you by his grace when you believed, or putting this to the future to anyone listening or anyone here, God will save you by his grace when you believe. Believe what? Believe that he died. Believe that he died for you. Believe that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior because there is nothing that you're going to do to make yourself right with God. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Another prevailing belief that exists in our culture today is that when we stand before God, it's going to be as if there's a set of scales and we're going to look at the scales and God is going to take the sinful behaviors, the thoughts, the attitudes, and he's going to put them over here. And of course, at that point, the scale's going to go boom for all of us. And then he's going to gather up all those good things that we did. The church services we attended, the money that we gave, the people that we had helped, the love that we've expressed, and he's going to put it over here. This is a common belief. It is not a true belief. It's a common belief. He's going to put it over here, and we're going to hope beyond hope that it is a little heavier or a lot heavier than that side over there. And when he looks at it, he says, hmm, scale over here, heaven, bing. Scale over here, hell. Ah. You know, I watch a lot of game shows. <laughs> or I used to. I only watch a couple now, but another story. Listen, salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. As a matter of fact, none of us could ever do enough good. It had to come by a free gift of our Savior. Jesus Christ was the perfect, pure Son of God who shed his blood on a cross so that when we receive the gift, our sins are forgiven and cleansed. But we must reach out and accept that which God offers. He's not going to force it on you. He's not going to come over to here, and I'm going to not pick on you, although you thought I might. Rachel, I really need you in heaven. Come on, here, get saved. No, he stands. 
According to the book of Revelation, he stands at the door of our heart and knocks. By the way, that's your, your door, okay? He knocked for a lot of years in my life. I would open the door so I can stop knocking. And when Rachel chose to open the door, Jesus Christ came in. What she said is, I want to receive that gift. It's already been purchased. It's already available. There is nothing that you need to do except receive, really believe, believe that he has this for you, and then receive it. Salvation is that simple. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes on him would not perish. That means that wide road, but have everlasting or eternal life. God loves you. He loves your family. He loves your friends. He loves your coworkers. And he is saying this morning, I have a gift for you or for them. I'm now going to speak just about those who are hearing my voice today, whether electronically or here in this place. God has a gift for you. There is only one way to God. Only Jesus? Yes, only Jesus. There is only one way to God, and it is because Jesus Christ paid the just price for your sin and my sin. Are you willing to receive that gift? If you have never received it, you will have opportunity in just a few moments. Maybe at one time you did receive the gift. Maybe at one time you did walk with him. But the world and relationships and making money or whatever it was for you, maybe it even is, is substances, has pulled you away. He will receive you back. He loves you. He loves you. The Bible says this. This is how much Jesus loves. He desires none to perish, meaning to be on the wide road. He desires none to perish, but all to come to the knowledge of the truth, what I'm speaking about, all to come to salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is his desire today. For any who are here listening to me live or listening electronically after these are posted online, God, so rich in mercy and love, even when we were dead in our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, for none of us can boast. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's pray as the team makes their way to the platform. Heavenly Father, Peter and Paul and others in the New Testament continually reminded those who already believed of the truths of the gospel, of the truths of what it means to be saved, of the truths of how to walk with you. And so this morning, I remind this church body that there is only one way to you, O Heavenly Father, 
that there is only one name under heaven. From time beginning till the end of time, there is only one name by which men can be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. If there is any here this morning who have not personally received the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of their sins, I pray that in the next few moments they would choose that path. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can receive this gift if you desire to this morning. You don't earn it. You're not good enough for it. You don't get your life in, back in order or together. Um, James, I'm going to pick on you just for a second. I'm not, I don't know that I know all of your story. I know enough of it. But it seems to me that when you opened your heart to Jesus Christ, were you still shooting heroin? That's all I needed to know. You're probably still getting drunk, too. Uh, James has been clean and sober for a while. God is using him in some tremendous ways. I, I pick on him because I know enough of his story to say, listen, you don't get good enough for Jesus while we are dead in our sins. Christ died for us. This morning, no matter where your life is at, if you are ready to take a step of faith, to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ for the first time or you wish to return to him I'm going to give you an invitation to do that in a moment the other thing is is maybe you believed in Jesus maybe you believed in God and you think that's all that's necessary you know I'll get there one way or another I'm here to tell you this morning that's only a part of what's necessary there needs to be your part the personal reception of the gift the personal repentance of sin that's your part. And if you've not done that, I'm going to give you opportunity to do that this morning also. Bow your heads, if you would, please. Lord, I don't know if there are any, is there anyone here in this building or if there's anyone who is listening online that needs to open their hearts to Jesus. But I pray that if there is, that your Holy Spirit would be heavy upon them right now. They would know that this is them and that they would not wait another minute longer, that they would make the decision to follow Jesus today. I'm going to ask that you stay in this attitude of prayer with your head bowed and your eyes closed. And I'm going to ask for the one who is here that needs to give their life to Jesus for the first time or to return to him today to be courageous enough to lift your hand right now. Where are you in this place? You need to give your life and your heart to Jesus. Anyone here this morning or to return to him?
taking a moment. Now I want to speak to the rest of you. You can open your eyes now. Before, before I speak on this next point, I just want to say this. If you are still struggling with this truth, if you're still struggling with whether Jesus himself is the way, listen, continue to walk, continue to look, continue to desire to find the answer. God will. God will help you to find the answer. For me, it was a journey of several weeks, actually several months, and if I really think back, it was a journey of several years before I opened my heart. I just knew there was an emptiness there. And I continued to attend church, and finally, it, 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 the Holy Spirit helped it make sense to me. So please, even if you are still uncertain about this, continue to seek, continue to search, continue to attend here, or if you go elsewhere and you're just visiting today. But this is something that is so important because there is only one name under heaven by which people can be saved. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. This needs to be settled in your heart if it is not. But I want to talk to the rest of us now who this is settled in our hearts. Well, we have family members, friends, co-workers, and neighbors. That honestly, today, as I spoke about the fact that the only way to God is through Jesus, they have not yet opened their hearts to Jesus. We're going to cry out to God in just a few moments for those individuals. But we're going to cry out for those individuals. But mostly I'm going to cry out that God put such a burden on our hearts for them that we can't go to bed on a daily basis without at least mentioning their name in prayer to God. Because their eternity right now is on this broad path, this broad road. And they need to come in through the narrow gate. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, we come before you for sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, stepchildren, foster children, adopted children. Lord, we come before you for these individuals that we know have not yet opened their hearts to Jesus. Their lifestyles show it. Oh, they may speak words about the belief that they have, but everything about how they live shows that they are not followers of Jesus. I pray as we pray for them today. Just in your hearts, in your minds, maybe in a whisper, mention their name right now. There may be multiple names. Now, Lord, for these, may we can't walk into work without seeing those who we know are not walking with you and being burdened for them. For the students, can they not go into the classrooms of the junior high school, the high school, the colleges that they attend and not walk into those classrooms without being aware that they're surrounded by other students who are not walking yet on the narrow path. Lord, as we think of family members, as we think of friends and neighbors, Lord, may our hearts be burdened so that we will continue to pray for them. And then, Lord, give us opportunity to speak and to share that we may be a part of them coming to the point of walking that narrow road, opening the door of their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ.
Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.